0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Let me me pray for us and then we will jump in together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we can be together, that we can uh, not hear from me, but hear from you. And I pray that you would open our ears, our minds, our hearts. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. What an incredible work, just a signpost of your grace and your kingdom coming into this part of the town, and Father, it's just such a joy and a pleasure to get to serve here this morning, and so we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, Jay ought to get some good Father's Day gifts, but a couple years ago when I, I got a Father's Day gift, I got a generator and a window unit, window AC unit. Which was the greatest... Now, some of you guys laugh that have lived here in Florida a while. You know, we haven't needed it for a little bit of time. But the reason that I got a generator and a window unit is because why? Why would I want one of those? Hurricane season, right? Yeah, hurricane season comes. And it's not so bad when the hurricane is blowing through and it's cloudy and it's dark and it's raining. It's afterwards and the sun comes out and it turns to be 100 degrees. And I don't like to be uncomfortable. And something I know about you, you don't like to be uncomfortable. And so I'm willing to get generators and air conditioning units and just keep it in the garage just in case I might even get close to suffering just a little bit. And I will do anything I possibly can to avoid suffering. And don't you feel that way? I mean, in in all different areas of our lives, we don't like to suffer, even a little bit we don't like to suffer. And we'll go to all kinds of lengths to avoid having to suffer, big or small. And today what I want to talk about is suffering. And I want to talk about suffering and the goodness of God. And that is, that's probably the deepest question you could ask. You could get to really who is God, what does he want, how does he love us, when you're suffering and you ask, okay, God, how does my suffering and who you are come together in this moment? You're, you're really getting to the heart of the matter. And when you suffer, there's really three big questions that you can ask. One question that you can ask in suffering is, well, where did this come from? Like, how do I, where, if I trace this back, where is this coming out of? And that's a great question to ask, but too often we love to stay in that question. And we, we want to know a definite answer, and sometimes you don't get an answer. Sometimes you're suffering because you just live in a broken world. Sometimes you're suffering because you did something, and it's, and it's you're suffering as a result of that. Sometimes you and I suffer because somebody else did some knucklehead thing, and we are paying the price for it. But the problem is if we only stay in the where did the suffering come from, it's a little bit like getting caught in a cul-de-sac and we'll just drive around and around and around and around and around and around and and we'll get nowhere and we'll go nowhere and we might be moving, but we won't be anywhere and we'll get frustrated. The other question we can ask is, okay, so I'm suffering, where is this going? Like when will it end? What's going to come of this? Is there a purpose? Is there something great that's going to come out of this? If I know there's something on the other end of my suffering, it changes the nature of my suffering, doesn't it? But there's another question that kind of comes between where did this come from and where is it going? And the question is, God, what are you doing in the middle of my suffering? So I, I, I don't, I'm not sure, or maybe I do know how it's come, but I'm not out of it yet yet. But if I could know God was in the middle of my suffering, and if I could know what God was doing in the middle of my suffering, wouldn't it change your suffering? And I think when we get in the middle of that, we we tend to think, well, maybe God's left us. Maybe God's angry with us. Maybe God's doing something to us. And if you're not suffering right now or you haven't suffered, here's the chipper part of the message. You're going to. All right? I mean, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble from the guy who got nailed to a cross. Right? In this life, you will. It is a reality. Suffering is a reality. And being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't exempt us from that sort of thing. But maybe you're not going through it, or maybe you've been through suffering, but chances are you know somebody who's been, who is, or has been suffering. And you find yourself in that moment, don't you, when, when you're around somebody who's having a really hard time, they're just in the middle of it, and you're thinking, oh God, please don't let me say the wrong thing right now. Like, don't let me, don't let me screw this up. Don't let me put my foot, don't let me do any more damage, don't let me be the cause of any more suffering to them. I really do want to comfort them. I want to give them some hope. I want to give them some joy. I want to point them to God. I want to say the right thing. And so when we talk about suffering, yeah, it's for us, but every single one of us will have other people around us who will suffer, and we need to be prepared. We need to have an answer for this. And so we're going to kind of dive into the deep end of the pool when we talk about suffering and Because we don't have a ton of time, we're we're not going to be able to dip down into each of these, and for some of these things that we're going to talk about, you may think, ah, that's not really useful, but just kind of put them away, hold on to them, and they'll come back up. But to do this, we're going to look at John chapter 11, and this is a story of a guy named Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, really famous story in the Bible, Lazarus is going to die, that we're going to find out in this, and he's got family members that are hurting and that are suffering, and so... We're going to jump in in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's one of the gospels, one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And so here's how John tells the story of Lazarus and Jesus, starting in John 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So I, this Now, what's so interesting, when he talks about Mary and anointing Jesus, she's going to break open some perfume, pour it on Jesus' feet, wipe it with her hair. This hasn't happened yet. I mean, You have to turn the page, it's in the next chapter. And so John is pointing out something. He's pointing out there is a serious depth of relationship going on between Jesus and Mary and Martha. And then Mary comes and says, Jesus, look, the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now isn't it easy in the midst of suffering... To feel like God has abandoned you and God has left you and God has forgotten about you. And because maybe you can't spot where God is and what God is doing, the apparent absence of God, you, we can translate over into think, well, God has abandoned me. Because I can't see him, because I'm suffering, because I don't know what he's up to and know what he's doing right now. Maybe God has abandoned me. Maybe God has not loved me. But this right off the beginning John wants to establish what's going on in Lazarus's life his suffering his illness and Mary and Martha's hurting for Lazarus changes nothing about Jesus's affection and love and care and feelings towards them Jesus loves us endlessly loves us in the middle of our suffering it do, it doesn't change any of this think about this in John John will write a letter Later on, First John, he writes a couple of other letters and then Revelation, and he says, God is love. And then the author of Hebrews says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means if God never changes and God's character is love, it means no matter what's going on in your life, in my life, how great it's going or how awfully it's going, it doesn't change the character of God as love. It doesn't. Nothing going on in our lives changes the endless loving character of God. Now, I'm not going to win Father of the Year award for this at all, but our son, we have an 11-year-old son and we have a 9-year-old daughter. Sophie's our daughter, Gavin's our son. And Gavin has broken his arm twice. And by the time he was 9, he had broken his arm twice. First time, it was a, it was a, it was a great break. He was playing football. Right? So every dad's like, yeah, my son broke his arm. So, but they're young and their bones are pliable, so they stuck him in a cast and it just worked out. The second time he broke his arm, he fell out of his bunk bed in the middle of the night while he was asleep. And so here, some of you just came for this. It's not enough to have the bunk bed rails. You have to actually take them out of the closet and put them on the bed and use them. Right? <laughs> like, use the bunk bed rails. So we're asleep, it's the middle of the night. All of a sudden, I wake up to just screaming. Gavin has fallen out of his bunk bed. Imagine waking up to breaking your arm, falling out of a bunk bed. So he does that. I have to explain to the ER doctor. I take him down to the ER. We go through this whole thing all night. We end up down at Wolfson's. And the next day, we're in there with the orthopedic surgeon. And he says, "Okay, we're going to have to reset his arm. Yes, some of you know what that means. I had a compound fracture. I broke my arm, bones came out. I know what that means. And Gavin looked at me and goes, Dad, what does that reset my arm? I said, well, bud, they're going to have to put the bones back in place. And he looked at me like, uh, they're going to re-break my arms, Dad, is what you're telling me. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And so the surgeon said, so Kristen, that's my wife, Adam, you guys are going to have to leave. You can't be in here for this. And Gavin is looking at me like, you're, you're going to do what? what? I'm like, man, buddy, I love you. I love you so much. We got to go. And you could just see the sad little puppy dog face, right? As we walk out the door. And I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, wait, wait, mom and dad are leaving me in the midst of this trauma. But the fact that we left had nothing to do with how we felt about Gavin. In fact, because we loved him, we had to step out of the room. And because I stepped out of the room didn't mean I went to lunch and started eating Twinkies and doing whatever I wanted. I, I mean, I was trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to care for him? And I'm talking to the other nurses and the doctors, and we're figuring all that. Where is he going to stay? I, you know, every, we're at work while this is going on, but we tend to think, oh, no, I can't see God. So God has abandoned me, and God has left me, and so God must not love me because I can't see him. But God is endlessly loving us in are suffering. And in those moments, what we have to stop and do is just remind ourselves. It's so hard to do this, but you have to stop and you just have to go, okay, God's character never changes. God's character is love. So whatever's spinning out of control in my life right now doesn't change the nature and the character and the affections of God towards me. It just doesn't. So John goes on down in verse four and he says, but when Jesus... Heard it, meaning Lazarus was sick. He said, this illness does not lead to death, which is good news right off the beginning, right? But it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, here it is again, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, because he loved them, so... When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> because he loved them, he stayed where he was. Because he knew that if he left and he went, what he, if he went to them immediately there was something bigger and there was something greater that was at stake going on in the midst of this situation and in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their illness and in the midst of their sickness and suffering that he needed to accomplish. And if he went to them right now and ended the situation, which he could have done, he would have short-circuited something that was so much bigger and so much greater that was going on, namely the glory of God. Jesus is saying, in the midst of our suffering, not only am I endlessly loving you, but I am ceaselessly working for the glory of God. It's why in Romans 8, 28, Paul can say, all things work together for the good of those who love him, Jesus, and are called according to his purposes. What Paul is saying is, hey, I know there may be all kinds of things and all kinds of situations and you don't like them and you wish you could get out of them, but God is working all those things. He's taking all those things and he's working them for his glory so that the son may be glorified. And the glory of God is you just, whatever you imagine is the greatest, heaviest, weightiest, holiest, loving, graceful, perfect powerful whatever word you want to pick for god where you just you come to the end of your words that are able to describe god when you get to that place you've just gotten to the tip of the iceberg of describing the glory of god there is nothing greater there's nothing better than the glory of god and there's nothing that is better for us there's nothing that brings us more joy in life Than the glory of God because it is the greatest good. And so even in our suffering we don't want God to take his eye off the greatest good. We don't want God to stop working for perfection. Even in our suffering we don't want God to settle for something less. And something that's second or third or fourth best. Because when he does that it diminishes our good and it diminishes our joy. We don't want him to do that. And here's the cool thing. Think about this, right? In downtown Jacksonville, 2,000 years after this, what are we talking about? What are we? I mean, we're talking about this guy's suffering, and we're gonna talk about in a second just how amazing Jesus is. So his suffering has had a legacy that has been able to proclaim the glory and the magnificent and the wonder Of Jesus for thousands of years. Nobody had a clue that was going to happen. Nobody did. Nobody did that. And so we've got to learn to spot the glory of God. Even in our suffering. And I think this happens sometimes. It's really hard to do when you're going through it. And and really what we need to learn to do is once we've kind of passed through some of this suffering. Is to stop and to pause and to look back on it. And when we do that, we'll train ourselves to be able to spot God at work for the greatest good and our greatest joy and where he is working in it, in our lives when we go back into it. And I'll just say, if you've got a friend who's suffering, or if you're in the middle of suffering right now, this is not often the most comforting thought to tell somebody, is it? when somebody comes to you and they say, man, I'm really hurting right now. Like my marriage is crumbling or I've got an addiction or I, something is going on in your life. And you say, well, God's working for his glory. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of like, hey, let me beat you over the head with a stack of Jesus Hallmark cards, right? Like it is, it is of no help to them at that moment. And so I, I just It's true, and it's good, and it's right, and it is for our most joy. i just say, just be careful leading with that story, all right? I mean, it's like the story of David and Bathsheba, right? True, right, good. We don't really talk about that with our kids in our home all the time. That's not our lead story in family prayer time, okay? There will be a time, there will be a day when that's appropriate to talk about that, But right now, when our kids are 11 and 9, probably not the best moment. So John goes on, skip down into verse 11. They, They begin to talk to one another. And then in verse 11, it says, After saying these things, Jesus, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Like, do you... I don't know if you do this, but I do this. I look at the disciples, and it's real easy for me to think of them as like religious superheroes, isn't it? You go, oh, they're the disciples. Oh, if I were with Jesus like the disciples were with Jesus, I wouldn't have any questions. And look at these knuckleheads. They complete, they're missing it. I mean, they're like, well, if he's asleep, what's the big deal? Why is everybody freaking out about this? What's the problem, Jesus? Now, Jesus, just in case you don't know, Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died. Like, read my lips. He's dead. Like, look at me real close. Here we go. Jesus, you know, like Jesus looking at Peter going, come on, Peter, focus for just a second. He's dead. I'm not, I don't I didn't mean sleep, like take a nap. He died. All right? And then he says, he died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe, (laughs) like, he's dead, I'm glad it happened, and the reason that it happened is not for my sake, not even necessarily for Lazarus, but I'm going to do some stuff in Lazarus's life, but Lazarus is suffering, and Mary's suffering, and Martha's suffering, hey guys, this is, I'm doing something in your life, like this is happening for your sake so that your faith would just go and blow up and be way bigger. And if I didn't do this, if I would short-circuited this thing, not only would there be something that Lazarus and Mary and Martha wouldn't get out of this, but there's something you guys would miss in this. And so in the midst of our suffering, we have to remember that Jesus is doing something so much bigger and so much wider than just ourselves. It's so easy for us to turn in and to kind of navel gaze and look at our belly buttons. And it's completely understandable when we're in the middle of it. But one of the things that we have to remember is that it's not all about us all the time. Even in our suffering, it's not about us. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved what? The world that he gave his only son. Like Jesus suffered in order that this wider circle, the world, could understand something and know something and have a relationship with God that they never otherwise would have had Jesus not suffered. It was about the glory of God and about Jesus, but it was also God at work in the rest of the world for us. so uh, About 12, 13 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, 14, 15 years ago, Kristen, my wife, um, had just having some complications. She ended up having to go have a couple surgeries. She had 22 tumors removed out of her abdomen. And so at that point, um, yeah, I guess it was about 14, 15 years ago. At that point, we were, just, we were just getting engaged. We were about to get married. And I remember Kristen sitting down with me and she said, hey, listen, if you don't want to get married, I understand it because I'm probably not going to be able to have kids. And, you know, I, I, I get it. And I looked at her and I'm like, nope, this is a done deal. This, this train has already left the station. We're in this together. We're getting married. But it was, I mean, it was a time of suffering for her. I mean, it was physical suffering. It was emotional suffering. It was suffering in terms of where was God and what's God doing. And it was, it was really hard on us relationally. And we went through that. And she, had the, she had the surgeries. And then probably um, you know, a few years later, she ended up getting pregnant with our son, Gavin. And that wasn't, that, that's a cool story in and of itself. But what was really neat was I was in graduate school and we had some friends who had tried for about 10 years To get pregnant had struggled with infertility and we were just having dinner with them one night and they were talking about how they had struggled with all this and Kristen just offhanded went hey you know um a few years ago I went and saw this surgeon and she's supposed to be the top surgeon in the country for infertility why don't you see like she's right here in Atlanta just you could go make an appointment with her and see what happens and they did and they ended up getting pregnant like six months later Now, here's the thing. Kristen and I would never have wanted to go back to that. Like, if you had had asked us, hey, do you want to go through that again? No way. No way do you want to go through multiple surgeries for 22 tumors. No way. But you ask us now, and we would say, we would never give that up. Just for the simple fact of what it did in our friends' lives. And I'm sure you can think about that, right? In the midst of your suffering, you can watch other people or you've seen other people pray. You've seen other people engage you. You've seen other people latch on to God or cry out to God in a way that they never would have if it wasn't for suffering. And so God is always at work in this greater good. And if you have suffered, if you've suffered with something, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Look for somebody else that's suffering like you had suffered and move towards that. You you have one of the greatest gifts to offer. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your hardships. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your relational struggles. When you see somebody else going through that, move towards it. It's what God did in Jesus when he moved towards us. So, skipping down to verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, (coughs) my brother would not have died. Do you you feel that? I mean, that's, that's getting real with God, right? Looking at Jesus in the eyes and saying, if you had just shown up, like here we are hurting, and we cried out to you, and we called out to you, and we're your friends, and we love you, and you love us, and man, I go to church every Sunday, you know, and I do this. God, we love each other, and if you had just showed up, none of this would have happened. Like, have you been there? Have you got like have you gotten to that spot, or have you gotten there and then thought, oh, I can't talk to God like that? No way. But I I love what she says next. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Like, I, I love that she's not going to God and pleading how good she is and how much she gave and how she started going back to church and she's not cutting deals and negotiating with God. She's going and she's saying, hey, I know that God will will hear you, Jesus. And so I'm going to plead you, Jesus, before the Father. I'm not going to plead me. I'm going to plead your perfection. I'm going to plead your faithfulness. I'm going to plead your greatness and your righteousness because I know God hears you perfectly. And I I love that. And Jesus, then it goes on and it says, Martha said to him, 'I I know that he will rise again. That it will be in the resurrection. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, and here's the punchline. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And in the midst of our suffering, yet Jesus is loving us and Jesus is working for the glory of God. And Jesus is working in these kind of wider circles than just what's going on in our life. But Jesus is also guaranteeing a hope for us in the resurrection. He is guaranteeing a hope for us in the resurrection. In Revelation 21, John, John's gonna write, he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear. He said, there, there will come a day in the new heaven and the new earth when God will wipe away every single tear, every bit of pain, every bit of heartbreak, every bit of brokenness, everything that's wrong, every bit of suffering, all of that's gonna come undone. And it's all gonna come undone because Jesus was raised from the dead. And he is guaranteeing our hope for us in this. Think about this. Jesus goes to Lazarus. He raises him from the dead, right? I'm going to give away the end of the story. Sorry, now you know the end of the movie. He raises him from the dead. Now, we don't know how much longer, but let's say he lives another 10, 20, 30 years. What's going to happen to Lazarus again? He's going to die again. How bad is that? Like, how, how, I just imagine him going, like, just leave me dead, Jesus. <laughs> like, you bring me back, and now I'm going to have to do this all over again. And if Lazarus had anchored his hope in having his situation fixed, like the circumstances made right, all that was going to happen to Lazarus again was he's just going to run into another situation that's going to end up just. As, as tiring, just as hurtful, just, he's going to suffer just as much, he's going to end up in pain, and it's going to be just as hopeless for him. And so we can't anchor our hope in just fixing our temporary situations. There has to be an anchor for our hope that's greater than the situation. Oh man, do I, do I pray for God to fix temporary situations? Absolutely, absolutely. But that's not where I'm banking my hope. And as a follower of Jesus, we don't put our hope in God fixing our temporary situations. We put our hope in a Jesus who's raised from the dead, which means he's bigger and better than anything that we will ever suffer. And he promises to us there is a hope that you can bank eternity on. And that hope will come true, and any suffering that you have ever had, any pain you've ever felt, any tear you've ever shed, all of that will be wiped away forever. It's <laughs> so down into 32. It says now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, here it is again. Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Do you see? I mean, this is, there, there is a ton of hurt, a ton of pain, a ton of emotion in all of this. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly Troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave. And I think John's trying to draw us to, hey, don't forget who else is going to be laid in a cave and have a stone rolled over him, And don't forget that. This is pointing to that. Like John, when he calls miracles miracles, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. That's the word he uses. He doesn't use power. Like you always hear the dynamite word for miracle. That's not what John uses. He uses the word for sign, like street sign. So he's doing something here that's pointing to something else. But you, you see in this that in the middle of this suffering Jesus is not distant. Jesus isn't uncaring. Look at I mean look at the words that John uses. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and he wept. Think about that. I mean Jesus is weeping over the suffering of these people. And he loved them. There, even other people can go. Oh, I see it. Look how much he loves them. In the middle of their suffering, look how much he look how much he loves them. And I think we always have to remember that in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is just compassionately empathizing with us. Not just you know the, the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Like if I come to the hospital to see you or Matt comes to the hospital to see you and you've got cancer, Pastor Matt is going to sympathize with you because he's never had it. He hasn't been there, but his heart will well up and he'll, he'll feel awful and he'll feel sadness and he'll shoulder some amount of your pain. But now if I come to the hospital and I visit you and you've lost a child, I'll empathize with you because I've been there. Like I, I know what it's like to sit there in the hospital and have lost a child. And so I don't just sympathize. I don't just kind of feel for you. I empathize for you. Like I know the pain that you're going through. And Jesus knows that. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, for we don't have a high priest talking about Jesus who's unable to sympathize. Like, yeah, he can sympathize, but it gets even better with our weakness, but one who in every respect, and not just with our, not with our, just our sufferings, but in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I love that. I love that. I love the thought that it may not change my situation. It may not change my suffering, but to know that Jesus knows exactly what I'm going through. Like, when you're tempted, Jesus knows it. When you're tempted to turn on the computer when nobody's around, he, he gets it. When you're suffering, when your friends have turned their back on you and have betrayed you and have sold you out because it's easier for them and more profitable for them to walk away from you, Jesus goes, I know. I know, I know exactly what that is like. And in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is endlessly and compassionately empathizing with us. The story ends. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, and I love this, Lord, by this time, there's gonna be an odor. He's been in there for four days. Like, it, Jesus, it, this he's not just, here's the thing. I told you I broke my arm. When I was about 12 years old, I was racing dirt bikes. And um, I was racing down this hill, there were about five or other, six other guys around me, and instead of kind of going around and following the road around down the hill, I decided, because I was so smart, the shortest point between two lines is what? A straight line. So I decided to take the straight line instead of going around following the road, but that meant that I was going to hit like this curb, this dirt edge, and when I did, I flew up, I flew over the handlebars like Superman out over it, Right? flew through the air, landed on the ground, broke my arm. Your bones are not white, just so you know. And um, I go to the hospital. My mom, my mom took a uh, magazine and duct tape and a cookie sheet and duct taped my arm to a cookie sheet. Um, don't do that. And so I go to the hospital. They, I, I go in to surgery. They put me under for surgery And while I'm under, I quit breathing, my heart stops beating. And I I don't know, it wasn't that long, just, you know, long enough. um, I died. But, I I mean, we're just talking 30 seconds, a minute, maybe, all this was going on. This guy, this is not like, they resuscitated me. This guy was dead like mummified, wrapped him up, put him in a cave, four days, rolled the stone over, everybody walks away, he's so dead that everybody knows it's gonna stink when they show up there. So Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? And he he said this, right? Didn't I tell you if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you always hear me you you want the father to hear you you plead Jesus because the father always hears his son always hears his son I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now now we're reading this from the outside, but can you imagine what this is like for him? I mean, can you imagine how, I mean, just disorienting this is? Like, I mean, he's literally wrapped up in bedsheets. Can't see a thing. He kind of walk in, you know. It says, unbind him and let him go. And I I love that all of this is happening. All this is going on. And at the end of all of this, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, after they thought all hope was gone, when they thought this is just the way life is going to be, Mary and Martha are like, well, I guess we're just going to live with the suffering of having lost our brother. And we don't know, but the fact that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all living in a house together would would maybe lead us to believe that they had lost their parents, and that Mary and Martha weren't married, and so now they're losing their brother. So Mary and Martha are just thinking, okay, here it is. Here's the rest of our life. Here's the rest. We're just going to have to live with this. And in the middle of that, Jesus steps in and he goes, Hey, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus does it. And I think we can't ever forget that Jesus is powerfully able to do what you and I think is the impossible. He, He is. Ephesians 3 says, To him, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, think, or imagine. He can. Jesus is powerfully able. About seven years ago, uh, I, I hurt my back so bad. And I don't just mean like tweak my back. Like I, I started going to back surgeons. I had three discs that were almost ruptured and... Um, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I, couldn't, I, mean, I was in constant pain. I didn't sleep through the night for about five years. And I would pray, God, heal me, God, heal me, God, heal me. And I never got healing. And I'd go and they'd do cortisone injections into my spine to try. And I'd made an appointment with a surgeon. I was going to have him go do back surgery. And I was just at the end. It was over. I had Honestly, I had thought, this is it. This is just the way it's going to be. And one night we were um, with our small group, our community group at our house and there were about 10 or 15 of them at our house and we kind of got done studying the Bible and, and people were saying, hey, can we pray for this? Can we pray for that? And finally I just said, listen guys, I, I, I can't, like, this is affecting all my life. I can't hardly move. I can't do anything. We're, we're going to be planting a church. How am I supposed to do setup and tear down and, you know, all this sort of stuff? How, how am I going to do this if, I, if I'm basically immobile and in pain all the time? And our group gathered around us, laid hands on me, prayed over me, and I'm not, uh, this is not a lie. This is not preacher exaggeration. I was healed. I was healed. And I, and I just tell you that God may heal you, God may not. God may say, No, you, you need to wait five, seven years. But Jesus says, Don't ever stop asking. Jesus says, I am able. I am able. So you come to me. I love the story when Jesus is talking about prayer and he tells this story. There's a judge and there's a woman. And the woman keeps asking the judge to make things right for her. And the judge won't. And the woman keeps coming and keeps pestering and keeps asking. And finally the judge is like, I'll, fine, I'll do whatever you want. Just go away. Leave me alone. And Jesus says, that's the way we ought to be to God. We ought to just pester, ask, knock, keep coming, keep coming. Don't lose heart because he is able. He is able. Keep asking. Keep knocking. And in the midst of our suffering, he's able. And I want to go back. And in verse 25, I just want to read this again and close with this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you, do you, do you believe this? Like, do you believe that Jesus is bigger and better and more powerful than anything, good or bad, wonderful or suffering in your life? Do you believe this? In just a minute, we're gonna worship. We're gonna share in communion. And if you believe this, This is for you. This is a celebration, yes, that Jesus' body was broken on the cross. He died for our sins. He was crushed. He suffered. He sweat tears and blood out of his skin. He suffered for us and to take away our sin. But he also, three days later, rose from the dead. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let me pray for us. And then we'll worship together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that as we come to you, we don't come to you based on us being great, based on us being so perfect and so good, but we come solely to you because of your son Jesus. We know that you hear him. We know that that he comes before you. And so God, we come and we put our suffering before you. God, for some of us in this room right now, we're, we're suffering, we're hurting, we're feeling the pain of broken relationships. And we just need to know that you know, that you understand, that you've been there, and that you never stop loving us. You are endless and boundless and perfect in your love for us. And Father, there's some of us who are just walking through sufferings of addiction, got sufferings physically, some of us, back pains, whatever it is, God, we're coming to you and we're just saying, I, I just don't know, I don't know how I can go on living like this. And so, God, we come to you and we put our suffering before you. And we know that you are working for your glory and our good. And God, we don't ever want you to take your eyes off of that. And God, for some of us, God, we're coming and we're just thinking, well, this is it. This is the way life is going to be. Maybe we've experienced Our suffering go away, and then it seems to come back. Then it goes away, and then it comes back again. And God, we're tired. We're worn out from just putting our hope in you solving our circumstances and our situations. And so God, we come to you and we just cling to the eternal guarantee and hope that is found in the resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, help us to fix our eyes on that and may we forever know that you are that God alive at work eternal renewing all things and there's a day when all pain and all suffering and all tears will come to end and may we be a community that loves that may this church be a church that that lives out your grace, lives out your love, lives out of your glory. God lives out where they don't think it's all about them, but they become agents of healing and reconciliation in this community. May this be a church, God, where they just deeply weep and grieve and hurt and walk alongside of those who hurt. And God, may this be a church where people powerfully experience your ability to heal and break every chain and end all suffering. And so God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven as we prayed in that catechism today. And we pray it in your name, Jesus, amen.